take your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, our text this morning begins in verse 27 and extends to verse 42. In many ways, this is really part two of the story that we began last time. Last time we met this unnamed Samaritan woman who had come at the noon hour to draw water from a well, and she encounters Jesus, who satisfies her soul thirst. But here, in beginning in verse 27, we kind of see the rest of the story. Having had her soul thirst satisfied by Jesus, she can't keep it to herself. Uh, She goes on mission in order to witness to others, to give testimony to what Jesus has done, and to invite them to come to know Jesus or themselves. In many ways, this is the, the response of every, everyone who's had their thirst satisfied by Christ. You can't keep it to yourself. And that's part of why, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are, we are drawn into the Savior's mission to tell others about him that he is, in fact, the Savior of the world. But in order to see all of this this morning, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our eyes of faith this morning, that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. Oh, grant that we might see Jesus. Give us him, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who weeps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So my sophomore year of college, that summertime, I, I spent the summer as a ministry intern at my home church, the Bethlehem Baptist Church in Fairfax, Virginia. And uh, among the many interesting uh, ministry opportunities that I had that summer, uh, undoubtedly the most uh, challenging was serving as a chaperone slash ministry leader for a student ministry mission trip to uh, El Paso, Texas, and Juarez, Mexico. And so we loaded up a bus full of teenagers, uh, and we left the church in Fairfax, Virginia, and we drove to El Paso. Uh, I actually re-googled how long that took. That was 1,951 miles. Uh, going there, we actually stopped and spent two nights on the road. Afterwards, we were so exhausted, we just told the bus drivers to drive on, and we drove 27 straight hours to get back home. Uh, why in the world would we do that? Uh, why in the world did we think that it was a good thing to load up a bus full of teenagers and to go to El Paso and Juarez uh, to a place where uh, we didn't know the language in order to hand out Gospels of John in Spanish with our rudimentary Spanish saying, please take these. Why did we take the teenagers? Why did we think it was worth going? Well, Part of it, undoubtedly, uh, was to help our young people see that here are uh, people who need the gospel of Jesus from a different culture. And, and as we worshiped with the Christians there in Juarez, uh, people who worshiped differently than we do and had far less than what we had, here's the church of Jesus Christ around the world. And so in that regard, it was a powerful lesson for our students. But undoubtedly, part of what we were trying to do was to involve our students at an early age in this idea, if you have come to know Jesus as your Savior, he's not just for you. He's the Savior of the world, which means then you are, in, are to be involved in mission, to go out wherever you are, whether it's in Juarez, Mexico, or El Paso, Texas, or whether it's in your school in Fairfax, Virginia, and to tell others about what Jesus has done for you. Of course, that's true not just of teenagers in 1990, 1991 in Northern Virginia and North America. That's exactly what you find here in this text. This woman has been transformed by Jesus. Uh, She's been exposed, yes, by the law of God, shown that she has a deep thirst, a thirst that she's been trying to satisfy by all sorts of relationships with all sorts of men. But having been shown how thirsty she is, she, she's come to know that the way to satisfy her thirst is not through a how, but a whom. Through the Messiah, through Jesus himself, and having been changed, having been satisfied and satiated, having her soul thirst met in Jesus, she can't keep it to herself. She wants everyone to know that Jesus is the Savior, the Savior of the world. And so she goes on mission. And so what we learn here is something not just for this woman, it's something for us as well. For every one of us whose, whose soul thirst has been satisfied, our mission is actually to enter into Jesus's mission, which is to point the world to Jesus as not just a savior among others or a God among others, as Psalm 96 says. No, Jesus is the one who is the savior, the only savior, the savior of the world. And the woman saw this as her mission. Jesus has just told the woman that he's the Messiah, 
right? That was where we left the scene. She says, I know when the Messiah comes, he tells us everything, and especially how to satisfy our soul thirst, how to worship and satisfy our soul thirst. Jesus said in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. And just at that moment, before the woman has a chance to reply, the disciples come back. Earlier in this chapter, in chapter 4, verse 8, John tells you that the disciples have gone into the village of Sychar in order to buy provisions, food, drink. The, the well, remember, is about two kilometers outside of the village in the, the middle of a field that had belonged to Jacob and been given to Joseph. And so the, the disciples had gone into the village and now they've come back with the food. And, and when they make their way back, they've actually interrupted this conversation and the woman takes it as her opportunity to leave. But, but notice when she leaves, what does she leave behind? Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town. She leaves her water pot behind. She, in fact, forgets the task for which she's come. She's left the water pot behind, perhaps because of the compulsion because, because she cannot keep this message to herself, she's been put out into God's world, into mission. She has to go tell others about Jesus. And yet leaving the water pot behind, it's actually pretty reminiscent of, of what happens when Jesus encounters people and effectually calls them to himself. Remember Andrew and Philip, Peter, James, John, the sons of Zebedee? What happens when they encounter Jesus? When, when Jesus meets their deepest need, they leave their nets behind. They leave old Zebedee in the boat and they go and follow Jesus. They enter into Jesus' mission. What happens to Matthew when Jesus encounters him, when Jesus calls him effectually to himself? Well, Matthew leaves the tax booth behind, never goes back into Rome's employment. And so it is with this woman, this unnamed Samaritan woman this, this racial and religious outsider and other. She's had her soul thirst satisfied with Jesus. She's been satiated with living water, and she leaves the water pot behind. She leaves her past behind, and she goes into the village compelled to tell others about the Savior of the world. Her, her testimony actually is, is pretty, it's pretty stunning, actually, you see it in verse 29. She says to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? There's so much in that witness, so much in that testimony. First, this, this woman carries out her mission by issuing an invitation. What's the invitation? Do you see it? Come and see. Come and see. Like Andrew and Philip in John 1, when, when Andrew goes and finds Peter and Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, what do they say? Come and see. They issue this invitation. So does this woman. This woman says, come and see. Friends, when, when we come to know Jesus as Savior, not just as a Savior, but as our Savior, we want to invite others to come and see. We want to invite others to come and know. And that's what she does. She gives this invitation, come and see. But she not only invites, she gives a reason. What's her reason? Come and see this man who told me 
all that I ever did. Now, all that I ever did, that's, that's shorthand, I think. Uh, I, I think she probably said more than that. But this man who's told me all that I ever did, who, who brought God's word, the law to bear upon my heart and, and exposed my soul thirst in all the different ways that I try to satisfy my thirst with other men and other relationships. This man's told me all that I ever did, but he also has pointed me to himself as the only one who can satisfy my thirsty soul. Here's the reason why I'm inviting you to come and see, because this man has changed me. And then she closes with an appeal. Our ESV has it as, can this be the Christ? It could be rendered, he isn't the Messiah, is he? An appeal that, that invites the, the hearers in to decide for themselves, to explore the question, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Savior of the world? Don't you want to investigate him for, him, for yourself? Invitation, reason, appeal. Friends, what, this is an incredibly effective way to carry out mission, to witness to the Savior of the world. All too often, we're, we think that we've got to be theologians or apologists before, so that we can answer every single question that anyone would possibly ask us before we even dare to witness or we even dare to invite someone to church. But friends, that's all poppycock. No, we simply need to carry out this woman's mission in this way. I mean, obviously today is a snowy day and COVID and all the rest, but, but even in normal times, there's plenty of seats in here. Plenty of seats in here for you to be able to invite and say, come and see. Come and see. I know in this place you'll hear about Jesus. Come and see. You can invite someone to actually come and hear about Jesus, someone in your friend network, someone in your social network, someone in your work network. Come and see, come and see, and, and invite them to come. Statistics show you over and again that people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, as, savior, as their Savior, not through by giving them a podcast or not by giving them a book, no, actually inviting them to church. And here's the reason. Come and see. Come to worship with me. Come and sit beside me in the pew because Jesus has changed my life. And I know you'll hear Jesus here. I know you will. That's the reason. Don't you want to investigate Jesus for yourself? Friends, that's a, that's a testimony that you and I can all, we can all give that testimony. We can all witness in that way. We, we can all participate in, in this mission in this way, just like this woman this woman carries out this mission because she recognizes in carrying out this mission of witnessing to Jesus as the Savior of the world, she's actually participating in the Savior's own mission. The woman's left and the disciples have remained. And they have this food that they purchased in town. And they know that Jesus is weary and they know that Jesus is hungry. And so they urge him to eat, right? You see it in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. And, but just as with the water, so with the food, Jesus will use the food in order to, to teach the disciples something deeper. He says to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And verse 33 has always struck me as a little humorous. It's as though the disciples were saying, wait, did somebody bring Jesus a Big Mac and a Coke? Like, who brought him food already? We went into town to get him food and someone gave him some food. Jesus says in verse 34, what? My food 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, this is a bit enigmatic, but these phrases are actually important in the rest of John's gospel. They tell us what Jesus's mission is, that Jesus's mission is to do God's will and to accomplish God's work. So first, Jesus tells the disciples what? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. What does that mean? What is, what is this language of the will of him who sent me? That, that phrase actually shows up elsewhere in John's gospel. We'll see it in John chapter 5, but especially in John chapter 6, that phrase is used in, in three times in three verses that gives us a clue about what God's will is. There in John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last day. Did you hear it? What is the will of him who sent me? What is, the, what is God's will for Jesus that he's come to accomplish, that he's come to do? Well, to point the world to himself. Jesus' mission is to do God's will, and God's will is that the world be pointed to Jesus as the Savior of the world. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and everyone who, who looked at that serpent, though they had the poison, the contagion in their veins, if they looked at that serpent and believed in God's promise, they lived. So Jesus says in John 6 that everyone who looks to the Son as he's raised up on the cross between heaven and earth, though we have the contagion and the poison of sin in our veins, if we look to the Savior, we'll live. We'll live not just in that moment, but we'll be raised in the last day, bodily, physically raised with new bodies in a new world. Jesus says God's will that he's come to do is to witness to that fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world. But Jesus says his mission is not simply to do God's will, but it's also to accomplish God's work. He says, my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In the upper room discourse later in John's gospel, Jesus will say in his prayer to the Father in John 17, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you've given me to do. So here in John 4, he says, my food is to accomplish the work of God, to do the, the work of my Father. And then in John chapter 17, the night before he's nailed to the cross, Jesus says, I've accomplished the work you've given me to do. So, so what's God's work? What is it that Jesus has come to do? What is it that he's accomplished? What's God's work? The redemption of the world. Which means, of course, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And we've already heard it in John's gospel for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And when Jesus dies on the cross as, as he's accomplished the work at 3 p.m. on Good Friday, what does he shout out? In John's gospel, it's one Greek word, tetelestai. We translate it as, it is finished. What's finished, Jesus? The work of redemption. 
all that I've come to do. God's work is finished. Pardon purchased. Righteousness gained. Offered freely to all who would come in Jesus. Come to Jesus. All those who, who would receive him. All those who would believe in his name. Sins forgiven. Righteousness given. Why? Because Jesus has accomplished the Father's work. That's what the, the Samaritan woman's witnessing to. As she goes into the village to tell others about Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, she's participating in Jesus' own mission. Namely, that, that the world would know that Jesus is, in fact, the Savior. But, but Jesus doesn't stop there. Yes, this is the woman's mission, and she's participating in the Savior's mission, but Jesus is going to go on to say, you know, disciples, followers of mine, this is your mission too. Look at what Jesus says in verse 35. He says, do you not say there yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now that language sounds really familiar to language I'm sure you're aware of elsewhere in these, in these gospels. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus will say in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Undoubtedly you've heard that as part of a missions conference at some point in time. What, what you may not have noticed or heard is that is that after Jesus tells his disciples that the harvest is ready, pray for laborers, the very next verses at the beginning of chapter 10 are what? Jesus appointing the 12 to go. This is your mission. Don't pray for others. You're the answers to your prayers. You're the ones who go on mission. The same thing's happening here. Jesus is using the language of harvest. He says the fields are white for harvest. And as he does so, I, I don't think it's beyond imagining he's waving his arms at the crowds that are coming out of Sychar because they are coming to hear Jesus. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, there's the harvest. The fields are white to harvest, a harvest to eternal life. And Jesus says, I'm sending you to reap for that which you did not labor the world is coming to you. Disciples, they're represented by these Samaritans, these religious and racial outsiders and others. They are coming. They're coming to hear Jesus. They're coming to hear him as the savior of the world. And the disciples' mission is to tell them to do what this woman did, to invite them, to give reasons, to appeal to them, but above all, to tell them, to tell them that Jesus is the savior of the world. Because, of course, the Father's seeking worshipers just like these Samaritans. He's looking for worshipers from every place, whether they're white or brown or black, or, or whether they're rich or middle class or poor, or whether they're school dropouts or PhDs, or whether they're blue collar or white collar, whether they're urban, suburban, ex-urban. The hour is now here, Jesus said. The Father's seeking these kinds of worshipers, and we are witnesses. Because, of course, this mission the disciples have, it's not just their mission 2,000 years ago. And it comes to an end with them. No, it's our mission. This is our mission, friends. Listen, we have gotten profoundly distracted as a church over the past two years 
debating and arguing over the direction of the church or the mission of the church. Friends, this is our direction. This is our mission. We are called to tell every single person, every man and woman, boy and girl, we come across that Jesus is the Savior of the world. We're going to sing it in a minute. Give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free. Highest hills and deepest caves. This is our song of victory. Jesus saves. Is there a social ethic for those whose lives have been changed by the gospel? Of course. Do we have a biblical responsibility here and now to include everyone in our circle of being a neighbor, to care for them both body and soul? Of course. But friends, none of that happens unless we declare to others, we witness that Jesus is the Savior of the world. None of it. That's what the rest of the story tells us. Many had believed in the woman's testimony when she gave it. It's what verse 39 tells you. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. But there were many, many others who weren't reached by her testimony that came to hear Jesus and perhaps hear the disciples. And at the end of it all, they said, yes, we've heard your testimony, but now we've heard Jesus. And we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. And when you get elsewhere in your New Testament, in the Acts of the Apostles, in short order by Acts chapter 8, there's a church that develops in Samaria, not just through Philip the Evangelist witness, but there are already those there who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Savior. Who are they? People like this woman. People like these folks in the village of Sychar. And, and from Samaria, missionary endeavor will go to, to the uttermost parts of the world, sponsored by these Samaritans because they've come to know the Savior of the world, all because of one woman's witness, all because of one woman's changed life, because her soul thirst was satisfied. All of this starts, the mission unfolds, and the kingdom advances, and people's lives are changed. What might your one life do? Your one life having been transformed by the power of the gospel because your soul thirst has been satisfied by Jesus. What what might happen if you were to enter into the Savior's mission by offering testimony and witness? How How many lives would be changed? There was a young man in the mid 19th century whose life was a bit of a mess. He couldn't really find his place. He moved from Massachusetts to Chicago, trying to find work, trying to find some stability in his life. Finally, his uncle gives him a job in his retail shop. They they sold shoes. But there was one condition. His uncle said, I'll give you a job, but you have to go to my church. And so this young man did. Went to Mount Vernon Congregational Church, joined a Sunday school class there. Uh, There was a man who led that Sunday school class who was faithful and loved this young man and recognized that he was wayward and and other, but but knew where to point him. One day he comes to the workplace, to that shoe shop, asks the young man, are you busy? Can I speak to you? No, I'm not busy. There's not many customers today. And so this this Sunday school teacher, his name was Edward Kimball, he tells this young man about Jesus about how he's in fact not just the Savior of the world, but his Savior. And if he would just simply trust him, his life would be transformed. 
And that day that young man did. You know that young man. His name is D.L. Moody. Most of you in this room don't know the name Edward Kimball. I reckon that every single one of you know Moody's name. But Moody wouldn't have reached thousands with the gospel, both here in the United States and over in the United Kingdom, would not have reached thousands with the gospel if Edward Kimball, that one man, hadn't told Moody, Jesus satisfied my thirst, and he can satisfy yours. Friends, what will your life do? Your one life, if you would join Jesus in this mission of telling men and women and boys and girls, wherever you go, and whoever you run across, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, I do pray that you would focus our hearts on these, these scenes, uh, that in fact, Jesus, you are for the world, and Christ, for the world we bring. This is the mission you've given us, to tell others that Jesus is Savior, but not just a Savior, our Savior, and in fact, the Savior. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning, grant us imagination of whom we might invite and give reasons and appeal to, to give a testimony concerning who Jesus is and what he's done for us, to bring him or her to this place, to hear the gospel over and over again. Lord, please do your work in our hearts and lives, we pray. We ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymnals. Let's turn together to number